Hi there, this is James Maynard from the Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through Anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And um, you can do it from your phone or a computer. And they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. Hello, and welcome back to the Cosmic Companion. In this week's episode of Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we examine findings from the InSight lander, which has recently returned its first data from Mars. We'll also learn about 2020 CD3, an asteroid that recently entered orbit around the Earth as a second tiny moon. And we talk about the composition of the exoplanet K218b and what it could mean for the possibility of life on that world. Finally, we wrap up the show with a bang as evidence for the largest explosion since the Big Bang is seen by astronomers. Following almost 18 months since its landing, the InSight lander on Mars sent its first findings back to Earth. The spacecraft revealed that tremors are common on the red planet, although they are not severe. The Martian laboratory has also found a greater degree of magnetization of the crust than what was expected, and sent a report on wind conditions to researchers on Earth. The robotic laboratory was designed to study the interior of Mars attempting to understand the history of that planet and other worlds in our solar system, including our home world. An asteroid as large as a car has just been discovered orbiting the Earth. This body, dubbed 2020 CD3, was captured by the gravitational field of the Earth and entered orbit around our world roughly three years ago. This second moon is far too dim to see with the naked eye, however, and it is located in an unstable orbit that will likely fling CD3 back into interplanetary space in April of this year. In the fall of 2019, astronomers announced the discovery of water vapor in the atmosphere of the exoplanet K218b. This world is located in the habitable zone around its cool, dim star, where water might accumulate into ponds, lakes, and possibly even oceans. This new study shows K218b is likely either a water world covered in ice, 
or a gaseous planet like Neptune where temperatures would be too hot for life as we know it to exist. Astronomers have found evidence of the largest known explosion since the Big Bang. Triggered by a supermassive black hole in the Ophicus Galaxy Cluster, this eruption produced a crater 15 times wider than the Milky Way Galaxy in a plasma cloud surrounding the cluster. This event took place at a safe distance of 390 million light years from Earth and hundreds of millions of years in the past. This week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we're talking with Sophia Shake of Penn State University, a graduate student there, who has um, led a uh, recent search which has a unique way of um, searching for uh, signs of extraterrestrial intelligence. Welcome, Sophia. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Now, um, your idea, you know, since the early 1960s, uh, radio astronomers have looked for signs of extraterrestrial life um, using 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 their instruments, but you had a you did something different. You really sort of put yourself, put aliens, put ourselves into alien shoes, assuming aliens have shoes. <laughs> can you tell us, can you tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about your, about your research? Sure. So the search that I just did, uh, is a search of a particular region of the sky called the Earth Transit Zone. And the way that we figure out kind of what this zone is, is by thinking about what observers would see when they look at the solar system from other points in space. So imagine you're on some alien planet and you're trying to figure out if you're alone, just the way we do. You might try to figure out if you're alone by looking for other planets at first. And then if you find a planet, then maybe you can kind of dig in and try to figure out if there's life there. So one way that we find planets on Earth is by using something called the transit method. So this is looking at stars and looking to see if they get dimmer when planets pass in front of them. So if you see a star get dimmer and then it gets bright again and then it gets dim again and repeats this pattern, what you're probably seeing is a planet that's orbiting that star blocking some of the light as it goes around and around in its orbit. So now let's imagine that alien observers are using that same technique. Where on the sky could those alien observers be so they would see the Earth pass in front of the sun and make the sun just a little bit dimmer every year as the Earth passes in front? That region is the Earth transit zone. And it'll, you, to define it, you have to make some assumptions, right? You have to assume that extraterrestrial intelligences are using the same planet detection methods that we use. But if you're willing to make those assumptions, then now you have maybe a better than average place on the sky to search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Because if that's how we find planets, maybe that's how they find planets as well. So that's kind of the philosophy behind the search. That's great. So if they were, you know, some imaginary, you know, world out there where, you know, it's just teeming with alien intelligence, um, what are some of the signs we might 
we might see another on on ex, another exoplanets. So this is a whole field, which is searching for techno signatures or signatures of technology, and there are techno signatures that are artifacts, and then there are ones that are like deliberate communications. So the search that I did was for deliberate communications because, to be frank, it's easier. It's a lot easier to find someone who wants to be found. Um, however, if you think about artifact technosignatures, these are things that just are byproducts of technology, not necessarily intentional. So um, we also, other searches are looking for these artifact signatures like pollution in an exoplanet's atmosphere or maybe uh, a band of satellites or something like that that might be detectable from Earth. An alien starlight, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we just, we just have to hope that there's, you know, some, some sort of, you know, alien Elon Musk out there. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it certainly would help. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, uh, you know, most of the, you know, most of the, uh, study searches that have been done so far have, you know, concentrated on certain frequencies and certain wavelengths, um, of, of radio bands, you know, notably, you know, 21 centimeter, the 21 centimeter line. But what you were looking at was, you know, if I'm doing the math correctly, you know, about five or six centimeter wavelengths. Uh, what made you choose? What made you choose those frequencies, and how does that compare to previous searches? So, one thing we have to balance when designing searches is, like I kind of referred to already, how many assumptions do you want to make? So, for this particular search, we made some assumptions like, oh, it's easier to find the Earth if you happen to be in the Earth's transit zone. So let's look there. But the 21 centimeter line is another assumption that a lot of people have used in the past, and I wanted to relax that assumption a bit. Um, say, let's not assume that any part of frequency space is more or less likely to contain a signal. Then you want to look in as many places as possible. So that's one reason that I did the search where I did it, which was 4 to 8 gigahertz, is because uh, that region of frequency space, A, has not been really searched in SETI before, so new territory is always exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, it's one of the largest bandwidth receivers so you can cover uh, at the Green Bank Telescope. So you can cover a lot of frequencies at once. And it's nice because there isn't as much human radio technology that emits at those wavelengths. So you don't have to worry as much about interference from cell phones and microwaves and GPS satellites and all of the other things that can clutter up your data if you're looking at the lower frequencies, say, near the 21-centimeter line. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you see, you know, um, what do you see as being, you know, sort of the future of of SETI, of, you know, looking at, uh, you know, certainly there's, you know, the huge 500-meter fast radio telescope that recently went online in China. And, um what do you see is, you know, what do you see happening in the near future um, as far as the search for, as far as study goes and new technologies and what we might find? So <laughs> there are a lot of possible answers to that question, so I'll hit kind of <laughs> the couple points that I think are most important. One is to make sure we're using a diversity of approaches. So like I 
mentioned, there are new ideas about artifact technosignatures, things that don't have to be deliberate signals, but are just like byproducts of technology. So we definitely want to investigate things like that because we have new telescopes like, say, the James Webb Space Telescope, whenever it eventually launches, uh, that will have the sensitivity to be able to detect atmospheric characteristics of nearby exoplanets. So I think having those approaches in combination with the more traditional radio approaches and then in combination with optical searches that look all sky all the time for laser flashes or uh, even continuous wave lasers. Um, So you want to have as many approaches as possible, and that seems to be the direction that the field is headed in, which is very exciting. And then you also just want a very diverse collection of people working on the project, because when you're trying to step out of, like, your own shoes as a human to think about where uh, technosignatures might be and what they might look like, you want to have as many opinions on that as possible and as much creativity as possible. So we need to make sure that people all around the world are thinking about this and that there's a lot of collaboration between institutes in different countries and between our field and more traditional astrobiology and more traditional astronomy in general. Super. All right. Great. Thank you very much, Sophia. It's wonderful having you on the show and I wish you the best of luck to you in the future. Thank you so much. If you enjoy Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, please download and share the episode on YouTube or on any major podcast provider. For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net.